that's what uh, you're going to have special time for that. But how many people are ready for the word this morning? Amen. Amen. Turn with your in your Bibles with me this morning to Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Title of this morning's message. Uh, we're just going to title it "Parable of the Ten Talents," and it's part of our last day's forecasts, uh, the series we've been going through. And this Sunday and next Sunday, we're really wrapping up Jesus's teaching on the Mount of Olives of, of how he's concluding these final moments before he dies on the cross, and he's really talking about final judgment here at the end. He's talking about what, uh, when he comes back that there will be a reward and or judgment. Uh, for every person. But let's pray this morning and ask God to be with us. Father, we love you so very much. And may it be our love for you that motivates us, Lord, to uh, apply your word to our heart, to take it in, Lord, to to uh, let it go deep down by your Holy Spirit. And God, that we would go out from this place changed, transformed, renewed, uh, set free of things, but also challenge God to love you more. Uh, when we know of your promises and the joy that was set before you and how you endured the cross on our behalf. And it's for joy, God, that you're giving us a reward uh, when you uh, come again. And so, Father, may that motivate us to serve you. May that love for you, God, uh, lead us deeper into a relationship with you. And God, I pray, Lord, that every person in this place today, every person that hears this message, God, would fall more in love with you and get a revelation of you and your love for them. In Jesus' name, everybody said... Amen. Amen. How many parents enjoy leaving your teenagers home at, uh, alone and then wonder what in the world is going to become of it when you get back? Anybody? Right? Parents, you leave your kids at home and you wonder, oh, Lord, help us. You know, the first time you've ever left your kids, you're finally old enough. You know, they're, I don't know what the age is for you. Uh, I know when I was little, I stayed home quite often by myself. Uh, I remember even at fifth grade, uh, walking home from school. I would never do that today, but at fifth grade, walking home from school and staying at home until 4.30 or 5 until my parents, uh, you know, let me there. And I, I wonder, I'm thinking, how in the world did they trust a fifth grader uh, with the keys to the house and everything in there, you know, blowing the house, it could have blown the house up or whatever. But I think, you know, that same thought process is, uh, okay, uh, and I remember my parents telling me and having those conversations like, okay, if someone comes to the door, don't open it. You know, and we had to go through that scenario like a bunch of times. Like, Mom, I got it. Thank you. Understand. Not going to answer the door. And then one time I remember my uncle, who is my mom's brother, comes to the door. And he comes up there knocking on the door. And my mom had, I mean, they had grilled into me. Do not let anyone in this house until we get home from work. My uncle's banging the door. Heath, it's me, it's your uncle. And I just stood there watching TV. It's just, it just like, <laughs> Mom said, don't let anybody in the house. He comes around the window, banging on the window. He calls my mom. And he's like, you know, your son won't let me in the house. And she, she's like, well, I told him. And so I did not get in trouble, even though he was pretty mad at me, though. Uh, you know, I think Jesus, looking back and, and at these parables, he's kind of like, okay, guys, I'm about to leave this place. And I want to tell you some things. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be wars. There's going to be famine. There's going to be tribulation. Uh, they're going to hate you. There's going to be earthquakes and, and all these things. And it's going to be a long time, perhaps, before I come back. And I want you to know that you have to be faithful. 
You have to really, really love me. You have to watch. You have to work. You have to be willing to wait and endure through all these things. Man, they're going to give you over to tribulation. They're going to bring you before the courts. But it's okay. The Holy Spirit's going to be with you. The power of the the Most High, just like Mary, He's going to overshadow you. He's going to give you what you need to say in these last days. Man, there's going to be great things happening. But, But I'm just letting you know, you've got the keys to my house for a while. I will come back. Don't blow this thing up, right? You know, kind of like what I can I can just kind of see that like I really need to make sure I tell you these final things before I really give you the keys, okay? And that's where we are, Matthew 25. Jesus is on the Mount of Olives. Uh, and he's got this concern over his disciples who he loves and he, he prays over them and he has repeatedly told them uh, these parables and many of them have the same theme a few weeks ago, we talked about the bride uh, uh, broom coming to and the ten virgins with the oil and the lamps. You know, that some would be ready and prepared and some would not be. Uh, some people during this season of waiting will not make it. And Jesus is letting us know this morning, even in another way, a deeper way, uh, through the parable of the talents. Uh, how does our love for Christ reflect our laboring and waiting for His soon return? You know, it was my love for my parents and my fear of the belt uh, that prevented me from doing anything wrong to that house, you know. Uh, And I think that's kind of where we have to be today. Matthew 25, verse 14. It's a little long here this morning, but read this with me in in the New American Standard. Uh, Jesus tells him a parable. He says, For it is just like a man about to go on a journey, who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. That's key right there. Remember that. And he went on his journey. Immediately, the one who had received five talents went and traded with them and and gave five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master! You entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents with me. See, I've gained two more talents. And his master said to him also, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not or where you scattered no seed. I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground and see you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank on my arrival. I would have at least received back interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given. And when he, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does not have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Mm. 
This is uh, similar to Luke chapter 19. We preached on the parable of the ten minus a few weeks ago. Uh, and, it's, and Jesus kind of tells it in a different way here. And, and let's just go back. Let's look at this passage. Talents. Uh, what is a talent? And it's not what you might think. Talent is a form of money. Uh, back in ancient times, it could have been a very uh, variable things. It could have been gold or silver. Uh, it really was a measure, okay, an amount, a sum amount. Uh, and at this passage, we can assume it maybe have been about eighty pounds of silver, okay, which today might be seventeen, eighteen thousand dollars, depending on the, the daily market. But with inflation, uh, we know that that talent was worth about twenty years' wages of a common construction worker, okay. So today, uh, we would factor that number to be maybe about $300,000 is how much one talent was, okay? So it's like, a, woo, wow, this, this is, takes the parable to a whole new level. It wasn't like $5 or $10 here. He was saying, I gave you one talent, that's $300,000, okay? One guy had five, one guy had two, and one guy had one, all right? So if somebody gives you that amount of money, just say one talent, $300,000, and says, here, that's a pretty big deal, don't you think? I don't know how many of you have friends that will loan you $300,000 and say, have fun with it, but maybe we need some of those people in our lives, right? Uh, you know, and we look at this, it would have been a great, great honor and a great responsibility for a slave to be entrusted with this much of the master's money and estate. He would give them great authority over, over his, uh, of his estate. Maybe it was his house, his property, maybe it was uh, his money in the marketplace, and so this, even though these guys were slaves, this master was a good master, and he treated his slaves as if they were partners. Now, okay, now get this here. They're slaves, but they're also like partners. They're also like friends. And this is very key before we even begin this parable, that we look at this passage today and understand you and I are these servants. You and I were bought by a good master with his precious blood. And he bought us, he ransomed us, and, and now we're slaves to him. And better to be slaves in his court than anywhere else, right? That, that's what Psalm says. Better is, a thousand, or better is one day in his court than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a, a, a pauper in heaven than a rich man in hell, right? Those ly- song lyrics, right? And so these slaves are their slaves, but they're bought to a good master. And yet, even though they're slaves, he treats them as friends. And you and I have been entrusted. With the keys of the kingdom of God, we have the, the authority of the church. We have the name of Jesus Christ behind us. We have the power of the Holy Spirit living within us. We have the gifts that are available in operation today. We've got the word of God. We've got the promises of God. And everything you and I need to succeed has been given to, to the church today. Amen? Somebody believe that? Everything you have, everything you need to live a godly, Christ-like, victorious life is provided for you. And the atoning work of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit living within you. Everything you need to succeed is given to you and already. And I look at this today and I say, wow, man, we're these Christians. And God's given us exactly what we need. What's our part? Very simple. Our part is to labor in love. Labor in love. And I want you to remember that phrase from Thessalonians. We're going to that, uh, that a little bit later. But those who labor in love use three things. They use their facility, they use their faithfulness, and their fruitfulness. Those who do those three things will receive a joyful reward. We're going to break up those three things today. Our facility, our faithfulness, and our fruitfulness. So laboring in love. Look with me at verse 14. Let's break this out. Okay, facility. 
We got our facility today. Uh, it says, it's just like a man who's about to go on a journey, called his own slaves, entrusted them. Everybody say, entrust. Entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five, another two, and another one. And it says, each according to his own ability. Okay, let's look at this real quick. Facility. He trusted them with his estate. Now, my parents trusted me with the house there, even as a fifth grader. And you look back and go, wow, that would never do that today. Uh, some of us wouldn't trust our 30-year-old sons and daughters with the keys to our house or cars, right? Uh, but Jesus entrusted you and I with some great privileges, some great things. Not only is it the word, and Paul says the ministry of reconciliation, but the, uh, the, the gifts of, he- of heaven and the Holy Spirit. And I look at this and it says the master, he didn't call his slaves to be idle, but he said, here, manage this, manage this. He trusts him, he says, uh, you know, like if I think about, man, I'm a good, I'm a steward of God's amazing grace. You and I have a word, the truth of God. And it was that his amazing grace, that Jesus Christ died on the cross. We have been entrusted with that message today. That's a great privilege and honor that not everyone can say that. Not even uh, the angels, even though they do all the things that they do. God entrusted you and I to preach the gospel. Ooh, think about it. Man, those angels minister to God. Man, they do all kinds of things, angels. But you and I have the message of the gospel to tell the world. That is a great privilege and honor. And so he entrusts them with this. He entrusts us with this redemptive mission. And it says they had talents. So there was trust and there was talents. You know, it's a great calling. It's a great eternal significance that you and I have uh, been given this thing. God gives us things like, I just made a note, you know, God gives us promises. He gives us power. He gives us authority. He gives us the body, uh, the church, the kingdom of God. Uh, But not only this, God gives us each individually natural gifts that we're born with, I believe, uh, and gifts of the Holy Spirit that come when when we allow the Holy Spirit to begin to use us. And First Corinthians chapter 12, verse six tells us that there are a variety of gifts and that spirit distributes those gifts to each person as he wills for the sake of the common good. This guy tailored these gifts to each or tailored these talents to each servant that he trusted. Okay, there's a lot of T's in there. He trusted them with tailored talents. Okay, and so he says, look. I know who you are and I know a little bit about you and I know what you're good at, what you're not good at. And I'm going to give you exactly what you need. And I trust you with exact right amount to grow my kingdom. And, and it wasn't about, well, this guy's better or that guy. He said he tailored it to fit the unique giftings of the person, who they were, what they could do, what he knew about them, their past, their present, their future. And I think the same way. Uh, one had five talents, another had two. Maybe one had a lot of ability. Maybe another one had a, you know average uh, gift set. Another one, maybe he was like, well, he's just the one guy. But no, God assigns work and responsibility, one author says, in proportion to our ability and purpose. Every person in God's house, though, is entrusted with at least one talent. That's at least $300,000. Not literally in the world's market, but spiritually. You know, we think, well, I only have one talent, God. But he's saying, son, daughter, I've given you a $300,000 gift here and entrusted you to use it. And you might think, well, I've got to only have one. But that's a, that's a significant sum, right? Man, that's an eternal significance. That's a, that's a powerful thing. And he's tailored it. You know, God has assigned you some responsibility in proportion to your ability in his house. 
Maybe we maybe sometimes we compare ourselves to others and we get a little bit of insecure and think, man, who am I? I can't preach. I can't sing. I can't lead worship. I can't play a piano or, or whatever. Let's look with me in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18. It says this from the Apostle Paul. He says, you know, our bodies have many parts in the New Living. He's, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. He says, now God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yet there are many parts, but one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. Or the head can never say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. You know, it might be that person that opens the door for someone else or that person uh, who picks up the trash or it might be that person who stops on the side of the road for someone else. You think, man, I don't really have any gifts. I don't have anything major. But Jesus is telling us, you know, sometimes it's the least that's the most important. You know, you you don't really notice your ears unless you have really big ears like I do, you know, after a while. But when you get older and you start losing your hearing, you start noticing oh, that's pretty important. Right. Or, you know, uh, you, you've got those things that are in your life. and You say, well, God, I don't I don't think this is worth anything. He says the weakest and the least important. Sometimes we think about our body are actually the most necessary. We have many parts and God has put each part just where he wants it. But do we compare ourselves against others and are we a little insecure with what we're doing? Maybe you're here today and you feel, well, you know, yes, Pastor Heath, I'm in the church. I've heard these sermons before. You know, OK, God, everybody has a part in the body of Christ. Jesus, amen. Hallelujah. Let's go home and eat some pot roast. Right. You know, let's I'm, come on this morning. But this is a very clear. This this parable is so very important. It's one of my favorite. Because Jesus is saying right before he ends this, uh, leaves this planet and he goes and he gives us the keys to the kingdom. He says, I need you to understand something. Every person in my body has something to do. Every person in my body has a tailored talent, a priceless gift, a valuable thing to me. And I thought it was so valuable that I entrusted you with it. Now, come on. Now, it's so valuable to God. He doesn't just trust anybody with it. He entrusts his best slaves, his servants, those who know who he is and what he's willing to do for them. And he says, I have a tailored gift, sir, ma'am, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, youth. God has a tailored gift for you, just for you, designed specifically for you that he's entrusted you with from heaven above. And he says, This is what I'm giving to you. Some may be called to one ministry. Some may be called another. Maybe one can sing. Maybe you can preach. Maybe it's leading or teaching. Maybe it's just being a generous giver. You know, the Bible talks about sometimes people are just faithful helpers. Somebody might have the gift of helps. You're just a person who just loves to help people. Maybe that's a gift from God, a heavenly gift given to you. And that's just yours and tailored just for you. God knew where you were going to live. He knew what work you were going to have. He knew what talents and gifts you'd have. He knew what your parents would be like. He knew what your marriage would be like. He knew everything about your life. And he says, you know what? John, Susie, Ken, whatever your name is, he says, I'm giving you from heaven. I, I, I thought you were so important. And I thought this gift was so valuable. I'm giving it just for you. Now, that's the weight that this master gives talent. Some people think, you know, well, what can I do for God? God doesn't just randomly give you things, okay? He doesn't just, oh, you know, I've got plenty of this stuff going around. You all just have a bunch of this. You can do a little bit of that. Okay, when we get to heaven, we'll sort it out. No, 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 no. He went away, and just like you would 
cautiously give things to your children and give them these warnings and, and help them understand what to do with the keys to your house or your car. He says, look, I'm giving this to you. This is not something I do lightly. I'm giving you my authority, my power, my word, and this gift that I'm giving you is tailored just for you. Nobody else can do it like you can. Now, I believe that's a word for somebody today because you really need to understand because somebody might say... Uh, you know, I don't know my purpose. Well, how do I find it out? God, I don't, I don't know what I can do. You know, you have to realize that God has a facility for you. He has an ability for you. And Romans chapter 12, verse 1 uh, through 2 talks about how we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices to God. That's our reasonable, uh, true worship to Him. And then when we give our bodies up, we say, God, remember, I'm a slave to you. I give myself over to you. You know me. You made me. And it says that we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. You know, that's through the Holy Spirit. It says when we do that, we give up our bodies. God, I'm a slave. Holy Spirit, come in me, transform my mind, change the way I think about things. And, you know, I want to think about your kingdom. And it says that then you'll be able to understand what the will of the Lord is, his good, pleasing and perfect will for your life. God's not going to not tell you what this talent of yours is. He's not going to not tell you what his purpose in your life is. He's going to tell you before you die, I want you to do this, this and this. You may not get the big picture, but along the way, God's going to say, I want you to go here. I want you to get involved in this ministry. I want you to do that. I want you to be involved in that youth's life or that young man or that woman's life. I want you to give a word to that person. I want you to get involved in this ministry. I want you to give this much to this ministry and that much to this ministry. I want you to uh, rejoice and, and be a person whose uh, people love to be around because that's how I've made you. I've made you to be a, a likable person. Or maybe I've, I've called you to be a good steward of my word and to learn my word better than other people do because you're going to be a good teacher or an instructor. You're going to have a legacy in that way because when you get to and, and as pastors we do funerals you know a lot right when we go to a funeral we get to see what god had called that person to do and you begin to look back at that person's life and whether or not they fulfilled it but god has a facility for you now be faithful with it let's look at faithfulness look at verse 16 in this passage it says immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents okay he had a facility but he had to be faithful with it. God gave you something. Now be faithful. I love this first word in verse 16. It said immediately. Some of your versions might say at once. If you got King James, it says immediately or at once. There was no waiting around for this one. This guy with the five and the two. Man, he's like, yes, God, let's do it. Thank you, Jesus. Man, I mean, he had five talents, right? Five. Now think about this. God, oh my gosh, what have you given me? Yes, Lord, I'll do it. God, I'm going to grow this thing. Don't, don't worry about it, God. I've got it. Uh, you, when I come back, when you come back, God, you're going to see me do something with this, right? And it says immediately. And they go and they gain five more. He doubles his money. And the one with two talents, he also doubles his money. And I'm going to be very, very clear before I go on. This passage is not talking about that we earn our salvation by works. Let me be very clear. We are saved by grace through faith. Ephesians tells us it's the gift of God. But the scripture also clearly states something else. These people were bought, right? They were slaves. Okay, now come back, go back into the first century. They're bought with a price. Well, they're already slaves, so why are they working? Right? Why, why are they got to do a good job? Well, they're bought with a price. That's our salvation. But we're also called to obedience, Right. And so yet they were bought with a price. It wasn't their works that made them be bought. 
He, they didn't do all this job before God bought. The master bought them before they did anything for the master. But because they were bought with a price and they loved their master so very much, they immediately went to work. Now, you've got to get that because it says First uh, Thessalonians 1, 3 says uh, Paul commends the Thessalonians for their labor of love. You know what? We should have a work of faith in our life and a labor of love. James tells us faith without works is dead. And Galatians 5, 6 tells us that our faith should work through love. Why? Because Corinthians tells us that love endures through every circumstance. It's always steadfast. And if you really love Jesus, you'll work for him. Just be honest. If you really think highly of your master, that he bought you with a price, and that he's given you this valuable talent and this valuable calling and this stewardship of his church and his kingdom, you will just be ecstatic to work for him. It'll be a labor of love. It will be a motivation that, you know, you, so many Christians will just work because they think they have to work because this is what this parable says. I, if I don't work for God, I'm going to go to hell. That's what some people will take out of this today even. That's not what it says. They love their master so much. And like the Thessalonians and the Corinthians before that, you know, or Paul is saying and uh, James will tell us that faith is a motivation and this laboring is a motivation out of our love for God. It's that love for God that's going to get you through these tough times. It's that love for God that's going to push you to go high and above and exceedingly beyond. It's, it's that love for God that's going to keep going uh, through those things that you don't know if you can go through, uh, through them or not. And it's our love for God that makes us faithful. It's your love for God that makes you faithful today. They loved their master. He was a good master. And he trusted them like friends. They're still slaves, but he trusted them like friends. And when I get a master, and I know I got up in heaven, that I wasn't worth a dime, and the devil was going to take me down to eternity forever in the pits of hell, and sin would own me. And when I know that I've got a master who's willing to purchase me out, I'm willing to be owned by him. I'm willing to give my life up for him, and I'm willing to serve him for forever. Because he loved me so very much that when I didn't do anything for him, he pulled me out. He lifted me up. Amen? And so we love our master. But you know what? There's a problem today. You know, in past, I think society, uh, if you go back and you go back even 50, 100 years, you look at society. And man, society was motivated by works, by responsibility, by loyalty. Man, people sacrificed for a cause. They were obedient to their parents. You know, the schoolmasters, they were obedient to the principals. One, because they knew they'd spank their butts, you know. But I mean, you know, right? But there was this, there was this hardworking mentality, right? Sacrifice. Doesn't matter what the opinions are, just get something done, right? Anybody from that generation? Well, you look at today's mentality, and I think uh, what we see in these end times lawlessness, you, uh, society today is pleasure-driven. It's entertainment-driven. I think this sets us up for a problem as we read this passage unknowingly because we come from a society that says, you know, I deserve my rights. I'm entitled. It's my choice. I have an opinion, and you should listen to it, Right? Isn't that what society says today? And I think so many people, Christians included, are unaware that they love themselves more than God. They aren't aware just because of the culture that we live in, that we think this, it's all about us. But when we begin to look at this passage of this parable, and we see this problem. We understand that it's faithful servants that puts God's talents to work. Somebody should write that down. Faithful servants put God's talents to work. 
It was an urgent call. Immediately, they put the, put the master's talents to work. Why? They felt responsible. Stop right there. Not you. Go ahead. That gets, that'll teach you to walk out on me, huh? Couldn't have planned that better. But listen, though. Immediately, they put the master's talents to work. Do you feel responsible? Do you feel responsible? Man, they felt responsible that when God left heaven and He says, here's the keys to my house, here's my church, here's my kingdom, here's my message, here's my calling, here's the gifts of the Spirit, here's my promises. We can keep on going. All the things He gave us, the peace of God, the past understanding He gave to us. Man, all these things. They felt responsible. It was like, whoa. Whoa. You're really going to trust me with that? Man, there was, a, there was a weight that came over them. And it's not only a weight, but an excitement. Like, yeah, thanks. I, I, you, 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 I didn't know you saw me that way, God. I didn't know you, you believed in me that much, God. I didn't know you loved me that much, God. And so, man, yeah, nothing else really matters, does it? If I've got this divine, eternal calling that's going to make the difference in eternity between life and death and heaven and hell, my God, what else is important? Man, this is something that I should be putting in my everything into. And so it says they put the master's talents to work. They, they said, God, I, I see this awesome responsibility you've given me. And so there was this personal laboring that they did. And then look, Romans 12, 6, 8 goes on from what we read earlier. It says, you know, you and I have different gifts. And it's according to the grace that was given to each of us. Maybe your gift is prophesying. Well, if it is, then prophesy in according with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraging, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. What's he saying? God gave you something. Go all in with it. God gave you a heart for those people. God gave you a gift to do that. God gave you an ability to do this or that. So make sure you do it to the fullest of your ability. Because God is coming back for a faithful people. You know, God gave you different amounts of talents to every servant. But it was the same faithfulness that was required to all. One had five and he doubled. One had two and he doubled. See, it was the same faithfulness. It doesn't matter if you can preach or not. It doesn't matter if you're called to be a bishop of an area or if called to be a worship leader or whatever. They're going to be judged according to how much they use their gift. And we'll be judged according to how much we use our gifts. You see, it wasn't about the level or the amount of gift or amount of talent, but it was the faithfulness that doubled it. And you see, these people, they looked back and they, they, they had to work with it. They didn't just invest in the stock market and let someone else do the work. But likely, if you look at the commentators, they, they likely began, took this, this talent, this, maybe the two-talent guy took his $600,000 and he didn't just put it in the stock market, which we could say is like tithing or giving in the offering, which I think we should all do, by the way, because when we tithe and we give in the offering, give to missions, we put it in the bank, basically, and it gets interest. God gets an interest. God gets the return. Right. And, and those missionaries, though, are the ones doing the work. Literally. Right. We put money into them. They do the work. Well, they didn't just do that. They diversified their interests. Right. No doubt. They probably diversified six hundred thousand dollars. But likely they started a business 
or a market or a trade and begin to grow it. You know what? Anybody ever started a business before? It's a lot of work. Most businesses fail, right? Most startups fail. But these guys had this this energy. They didn't just let someone else do it. They worked it until it grew. And they each had the same reward. He says to both of them, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few. I'll put you in charge of many, uh, many things. Now enter into my joy. You know what that kind of means? It's like, come, I'm going to embrace you. Enter into my joy. Come on in. You see, God has given you something. And it's not about what so-and-so has or Jimmy Sue or Jim and Sue over here. They're not comparing to one another. You have a talent from God and it's about how faithful you are with it. What is God going to get on your his investment when he comes back? He's invested into you. What's his return going to be? It's all about how faithful you are because your labor reflects your love for God. That's a good one. Somebody write that down. Your labor reflects your love for God. It wasn't the portion, but the proportion that made the difference. If you love God, simply this, you will do your part in his body to make his body whole. That's what we get out of this. If you love God, you'll do your part. It's very simple. If you love God, you'll do your part. Hmm. If you love God, you'll do your part. God will reward you and I because of our faithfulness, not because of what we did, but because it reflects our love for him. See, there's nothing more important, and that's the thing that will be judged in this earth is how much we love God with all our soul, mind, heart, and strength, right? Love our neighbor as ourselves, greatest command, right? But that love should produce faithfulness in us. And when he comes and he looks at our faithfulness and our fruitfulness, it will be a reflection of our love. Do you love God? How faithful are you? Do you love God? How are you using his, his works If you love God, how ambitious are you to grow his kingdom? And I would ask us to think about this question. Ask yourself this. How zealous do I get for the things I love? The things I'm interested in. How zealous do I get for that new boat, that hunting, that shoes, that 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 after after work thing that I do that working out or or maybe that shopping or maybe that that, you know, doing that Pinterest online or whatever it may be. How zealous do I get for the things that I love and I want? Am I that ambitious for his kingdom? Am I that ambitious for his kingdom? Because let's look at this last servant. I won't go too long on that, but fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. What do we produce? Jesus knows his kingdom always grows in the right hearts and hands. And look at this guy. Verse 24, he says, hey, the one who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, you knew I I thought you were a hard man. And and, and so I went away and I hid this stuff in the ground. And and look, here it is. I gave it back to you. And he calls him a wicked, lazy slave. One version says slothful. Now look at this guy. What was he thinking? What is this guy thinking that he buries this in the ground? You know, back in the day, uh, banks weren't very safe like maybe they are now. I don't know if they really are or not. But they uh, it was a chance for a bank to get uh, uh, stolen or robbed or whatever. So it was actually safer to put the money out in the backyard under. Maybe that's how you do your savings or your retirement. But I don't know. But he buried it in the backyard. And so he was actually in some ways trying to be wise and make sure he didn't lose. He thought, you know, well, this guy, $300,000 what if I put that in the stock market and it just gets crashed? This guy's going to be mad at me, right? He's going to be upset. 
So I don't want to lose it. And maybe what if I did launch a business like these other guys did? And what if that business failed? Then what would I have? There's no way me on my salary that I work for free could ever get back $300,000, right? And so he goes and he buries it. And maybe some people have thought this. Maybe he thought, you know, I can't do it. Maybe, maybe he didn't believe in himself. And maybe that's how you are today. You don't really think you've got anything worth offering to God. I don't have anything in my own ability. God, I'm just here. God, I'm saved. I believe in you. I love you. I'm just here in church today, God. And then I'll be here next Sunday too, God. And, and you know what? In not believing in himself, you know what he did? He did not honor the Lord's calling. It was just to say, God... You don't know me like I know me, even though God's the one that made us. He's like, but God, you know, I'm not worth anything. I can't do anything. That's pretty much to slap God in the face and say, God, you don't know what you're talking about. You didn't do right when you gave me that gift, God. You didn't give me what I think I need, God. And it was just to say, God, you don't know. Come on now. Sometimes when you're going through life and you think, God, you don't know what you're doing. Anybody ever thought that before? God, you don't know what you're doing, right? That's not, we're not honoring God and his calling. God trusted you. Think of it, church. God honors you. God loves you. God paid the price for you. God gave you everything you need to succeed. And heaven help us not to be like, God, I don't don't think I can do this. God, you don't know what you're talking about. God, I don't have everything it takes to do this. Yes, you do. That's a lie of the devil. That's the flesh talking. Or maybe he thought, God, I have nothing. God, I don't have a talent. God, I don't have anything that's important. God, I'm not like these other people. They've got five talents, God. This guy's got two talents, God. I don't have anything. You know, sometimes the people who think they have the least in this world are actually the ones that do the least. One author says, if it was not for the many one-talent people in this world, very little would get done for God's kingdom. You know, it takes one person watering the flowers every day. Thank you, Miss Lou, watering the flowers this morning in these pots. You know, those wouldn't grow if somebody didn't water them. It takes one person opening up the door. It takes another person giving in the offering uh, to pay the light bill. It takes, a, you know, another people to drive the van to pick people up. It takes one person teaching uh, our kid church. But, it, you know, it takes three or four more people just corralling the kids behind the teacher. You know, uh, it takes everybody. Right. And, and sometimes we think I don't have anything. And when we do that, you know what we do? We're not honoring the gift that God gave us. We're saying, God, I don't have anything. And he's like, yes, you do. I give you $300,000. Don't you think that's something? Right? There's a talent there. There's a divine heavenly talent that was not yours to begin with that God gave to you. Or perhaps maybe it wasn't that I can't do it or maybe it wasn't that I have nothing, but maybe it was like I might lose it, God. I might lose it, God. I might. What if I what if I try this, God, and then I lead other people to hell or or God, what if I I go out there, God, and I myself fall away and and I just need to be safe right here. Because, God, if I go out in the world, God, I may not come back. But, God, I've got to be safe right here. I just need to sit on this pew and wait for you to come, Lord Jesus. And to do that also was to, to be a slap in God's character, not to honor the Lord's character. Because this slave, when he gets up to heaven, he even accuses God and says, God, you know, I thought you were a hard slave owner. Man, no. God was the good master who entrusted him with his great rewards. You know, I think we look at this passage and the thing I get out most of it, what is the difference in the life is very important. What's the difference in the life that was led by this slave versus the others? While God was up in heaven, and this is the, the, par- the parable here, blend it with today. When the master was away and God is up in heaven, 
what was happening in that house for, let's say, 20 years that God, the master was away. What was happening in that house? Well, I know for a fact that two people, two slaves, one with five, one with two, they were really, really busy. They had their investment to grow. And trust me, it's not. Can you anybody in this room able to take three hundred thousand and make it into six hundred thousand? Right. Or or take six hundred thousand and make it into twelve hundred thousand. Right. I mean, come on. This is what these guys were doing. Right. They had these talents. They were doubling. It took a lot of work. What was the other guy doing? Well, he buried his in the backyard. He was just watching TV, I guess. I don't know what he was doing. Right. He was just waiting for the master to come back. Now, come on. Today, there are so many in the American church sitting, waiting for Jesus to come back. And there are a few who are laboring as if he's coming back today. Now, I'm going to be very serious this morning. There are those today that when Jesus comes back, will blame God because he'll say to them, where's my money? Where's the talents that I gave you? How faithful were you with them? And they'll say, well, God, I was just being careful. God, I didn't think I had anything. God, I didn't think you wanted me to do that. And he'll look at the others and say, well, come on in. I know you, you, you brought something with you. You brought all these people with you through your talents. You were generous. You loved others. You, you were faithful with what I gave you. And, and, you, and you're telling me by that, you're telling me you love me. Well, and the other one is saying, God, I thought you were a hard man. I just wanted to make it in. He's saying, well, you don't really love me at all, do you? You don't really know who I am then. You didn't really appreciate what I gave to you, what the honor that I've bestowed my word into you, my, the honor that I gave you my spirit, the honor that my son died for you, the honor that I called you apart from all the people of this world. I put my spirit, my divine spirit was within you and you didn't think that was worth anything? You didn't think you could do anything with the Holy Spirit? You didn't think that all the money that I've given you, you couldn't give some to missions or, or tithe even to the church? You couldn't even put it in the bank and let some people benefit of it? That even though you weren't even going to do the work, they would at least got some interest off of it. Come on. There's a carefree spirit in so many Christians, just like this servant. And he calls him slothful. He says, you are a worthless, good for nothing, slothful slave. Enter into punishment where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yeah, you were mine, but your love for me proves you, you weren't mine at all. You weren't faithful. You weren't fruitful. You didn't do anything. You just waited. You buried your talents. You buried the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You put the word of God. Maybe you thought it was in your heart, but you actually buried it in the backyard. And you were just sitting there while everybody else was working. You proved to me you're not really one of mine at all. There will be no excuse on Judgment Day for lazy Christians who try to justify their inactivity before God. It won't work, church. I'll be very serious this morning. It will not work. God has given you and me everything we need to reach this world before he comes back. I believe that. I believe every person in the body of Christ has a unique calling. And it might be reached to this person. You're might supposed to be before you die to reach that person. It may only be one or two people before you die. But you are called to reach a certain amount of people. You are called to love on others. You're called to, to give certain things, to work in his body, to work in his church. And we can look at this parable and, and think, well, it, what is this really talking about? I think it's saying it's a sin to not use what God has given us, church. Because it's our faithlessness and our fruit, fruitlessness of this slave that proves he did not love God. 
You know, I think this is the Christian who hides their light under the bushel. It's the Christian who professes faith but not works. It's the Christian who goes to church but never loves the church enough to serve or to give. I'm not trying to scare you today, but I'm going to be real. This is what Jesus said before he left this earth. It's not Heath's words. It's not your sanctuary's words. This is the words in red that says, Church, God loves you enough. He trusted you enough. He thought something of you to give you things from heaven on high, to put it into your life, tailored just for you, and said, look, your faithfulness won't get you into heaven. Your works won't get you into heaven. But it's your love for me that will produce good fruit. And guess what? His kingdom always grows. Man, his, in the right soil, His kingdom always grows. In the right hearts, His kingdom always grows. Those who labor in love through their facility, that's my ability, those who labor in love through their facility, in their faithfulness, in their fruitfulness, He says, will receive a joyful reward. Do I love God enough to be faithful and fruitful? What excuses perhaps have I been using for so long that really when my excuses, what they're doing is they're slapping God in the face? God, I'm too busy. God, I've got a lot going on right now. God, I don't have anything to offer. I'm not good at any of those areas. God, I don't see where, anywhere I can serve. God has given you everything you need to do your unique calling. It may not be what you think. It might not be something that someone else is doing. It might not even be a position in this church. But somewhere in this life, in the kingdom of God, which goes through every church, goes in, every, in your workplace, in your schools, something God has called you to do, if you'll just ask Him, He'll tell you what it is. And do it to the fullest of your ability. Double it. Double it, church. Get on the move. It says immediately they went out. Because why? Not because you're going to earn your way to heaven, but because you love God. Because I love God. I wouldn't be up here doing all this if I didn't love God. I wouldn't endure what it takes to be a pastor if I didn't love God. Let me tell you right now. Because we love God. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Worship team, would you come? Those who labor in love will receive a joyful reward. He says to us, and this is the promise to you, church, well done, good and faithful slave. You're faithful with but a few things. I'll give you many things. Enter into the joy of your master. God has promised you joy today. God has promised you a lifetime and eons and eons of eternal joy in his presence. And it's that same joy that moved him to die on and endure the cross Despising the shame, he put his work, blood, sweat, and tears behind it to have a relationship with you for the joy that you and him would endure one day forever. God was laboring so you could have eternal joy. Man, that should motivate us to love him, to work for him. God, I, do I love to work for you, for you, God? Every head bow, every eye closed. God, do we love to work for you. God, is it the not 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 this guilt, this shame, this Lord, I got to work so I don't go to hell. But God, the motivation is, God, I think so highly of what you've done for me. 
God, I think so humbly, God, of what you've given me. God, I feel so much responsibility, God, because you've honored me. Because at the end of the day, it will not be works that gets us into heaven. It will be not the things we do, but it's going to be our love for God that's produced a life of faithfulness and a life of fruitfulness. Church, let me tell you this morning, there might be those in this room today that you may not really be loving God like you should. And it's not going to be upon my head or any of our leaders' head if you get to the end of this life and God says, what have you brought me? And you just say, God, well, I made it. God, I sat on the pew for so many years. God, I even paid some tithes. And God, I've made it. God, I was I didn't smoke. I didn't drink. I didn't cuss. I didn't have sex. God, I tried to be a good person, but I made it. And he'll say, but did you really, really love me? Did you really love me enough to think so highly that I sent my very son to die for you? Did you think so gravely of the people that were going to hell that you saw day by day by day and you kept on walking? How much did you love them? God, help us to fall more in love with you every day. And God, I don't try to earn my way. God, I'm not trying to work my way. God, I'm not going to be browbeat to get to heaven. It's not about beating ourselves over the head, but God, it's about a reality check. Do I really love you? Do I love you more than the things in this world? Do I love you more than my family? Do I love you more than my job? Do I love you more than hobbies and entertainment and the pleasures of this world? And am I willing to sacrifice God to show you how much I love you? Because God, there is a joy up in heaven that heaven is waiting to celebrate on that final day when you call us home and there will be a time of, of, of joy and laughter and pleasure forevermore, God. We'll get to relax. We'll get to recline. We'll get to satisfy ourselves at the fruit of your table. But God, right now, people are dying and going to hell. Right now, God, you've given us a mission to grow your church, God, to have the keys of the kingdom, God, to unlock a, a supernatural power and us, that there's an explosion of revival in our families and friends and workplaces. God, an explosion of revival in our schools because we have all the power we need to succeed in this gospel mission. God, you didn't leave us unequipped. God, you didn't leave us without help. God, you've given us the fullness of your spirit and power. Lord, wake us up today, O oh God. Wake us up today, oh God. Let us not be a person in this room destined to hell because, God, they don't really love you like they should. Lord, they know the truth. God, let us know the truth, God, that we love Jesus. I love you, Lord. Love you, Lord God. Nothing we wouldn't do for you, God. Holy God, holy God, holy God, holy God. Holy are you, O oh God. Worthy are you, O oh God. None like you, O oh God. Jesus. Jesus. May it not be a fear of hell that gets me saved or gets me to work, but God, let it be a love relationship with you. I just love you, God. I love what you've done for me, God. And I want to be faithful. You're here today and you say, Pastor Heath, I'm not where I need to be.